none of you have set the St. Louis Blues. I was, that was my second option. We're talking about a team that shipped off its best goaltender for not much. We're talking about a team who lost its team captain. And David Backus is one of the most underrated two-way players in the NHL. Headed to Boston, who I picked to be one of the most approved teams, just saying. He also lost Troy Brower, who allowed him to play that more physical style. And they replaced them with David Perron? Come on, man. Yeah, I mean, nobody. They were, they were play, I mean, they're allowing on uh, Paul Stassi to step into the number one spot. And there are by far worse options to be your number one center. Yori Laterra is not built for the style of play that the Blues want to play. He's not that bruising two-way guy. He's a really smooth skater. He works really well with Tarasenko. But the, the luxury the Blues have had over the last uh, two or three years is that they have three 1A, 2B lines. They have three lines that could score and defend against just about anybody. Now you don't have that. They've lost TJ Oshie. They've lost, uh, which that was the bounty for the Brower trade. And they've tried all summer to trade away Kevin Shattenkirk. Didn't do that. And now also you talk about a locker room that may be in a state of fracture. This team already has the head coach in waiting with Mike Yo. I mean, it, it, we've seen this in several sports where there's always, quote, the head coach in waiting. It doesn't work out typically well. So it's going to be an interesting year in St. Louis. They're moving to Yo next year. This is the last year for Hitchcock, and you have to wonder if, you know, they stumble out of the game, they're going to fire Ken Hitchcock. That's something that's been on the mind for St. Louis fans for a while. All right, who's going to... answers. I think all four. Yeah, all four are good answers. I don't think there's a wrong answer among all four of us. Some bad teams this year in the NHL, guys. Yeah. Speaking of, who will be the worst team in the East this year? And you say not Columbus? I mean, yeah, Columbus. But I think we were all in accord in the Metro. the The Atlantic. We all gave. Let's see. Two of us gave the answers of the Senators, Leafs, and Red Wings. Both got one each. I think it's not fair to even count the Senators. They're not even built to be an NHL team some days. Yeah. Okay. I think we're, you're right. You know. So we're all in accord, Blue Jackets. Yeah. I mean, because I just like it's like St. Louis. You don't want to kick when they're down too much. And it's like Ottawa. You know how they'll build condos so that rich people can hide their money in the condos? It, I, not literally hide them, just so we're clear. Yeah. I feel like I feel sometimes like the Ottawa Senators are the condos of the NHL. Like just empty. <laughs> no one's gonna live there. They're not even in Ottawa. They're in Canada. They're just waiting no. to, you know, <laughs> until something, you can flip them over and, and make a little bit of a profit or something when valuations go up. And for some reason, Bobby Ryan has one. <laughs> no, it would be really bad if Jack Johnson had one. Or his parents had one. You know. This is two, two tenants. <laughs> and both of them are Bobby Ryan. Calling all freaks. No. And welcome back to the show that finally has some real NHL games to talk about. Um, you are listening to the Predcast, brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. And I am not Dan. I, I, I'm not Dan. I'm not Dan either. I, there's no Dans here. Uh, I don't I, know who the other guy is. <laughs> uh, I'm Alex Darty, sitting in the captain's chair for a Dan who could not be here today. Uh, that is Chris Link, and that is... Uh, 
uh, previous Predcast extraordinaire, John Garcia. Welcome Woo-hoo. back, John. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's weird to be sitting in, on this side of the table. I, I know. The, 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 the proper chair for the new third host has yep. always been the one directly across from me. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris sat there. John, you sat there. Now Alex is sitting there. Um, and, and now... Now it's just it's 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 crazy. It's it's cats and dogs. It's it's uh, flyers and Capitals fans sitting at the same table, figuratively and literally. I like across from each other, I like kind of like diagonal, um, rather than just. I, I guess that's good though because we're not in arms reach of each other. So <laughs> when we start to disagree more, it's a lot farther than though we can't do our high fives like we used to do. <laughs> uh, I we still we can still try. I mean, I think Alex and I do some of the air high fives. Yeah, um, usually, and we're pretty close. Uh, Really excited to have you on a, on a little guest spot. Thanks, um, I'm excited to be back. Have... I missed uh, missed getting on with you guys. Yeah, Dan Dan is is consumed with work, which happens to us all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maria is in Canada. She's in Canada. She's in Canada. Interesting. What's she doing in Canada? Canadian? I don't know. Is she part Canadian? Canadian. She things? says there's snow up there, and I think she wanted to I go don't... see some snow. I, yeah, I don't know. I, she seems to go to Canada, so mm. good for her. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so uh, we're we're gonna try to man the the ship uh, without Dan and without Maria tonight uh, today and uh, we're gonna hopefully it'll be you know kind of kind of usual but we're we're not gonna we're gonna keep it a little bit uh, a little bit shorter than normal I think uh, just trying to we're gonna try to squeeze in the the juicy bits we got some good things to talk about just a diet podcast yeah make it <laughs> make it so that you know you can listen to it on your drive home from work rather than your commute to Canada. Yeah, well, you know, um, that is that's a long drive, but you know, if you if you if you want the healthcare, you got to go to where the healthcare is. Yeah. So or, how, or the snow. How, how have snow. you been, John? Everything been going well? Yeah, man, just been working a lot. Uh, still, uh, I mean, I've been at the new gig for like seven months now, and still, I swear, getting used to the uh, the night schedule, mm-hmm. um, which is still weird because I feel like you know you get off work and it's like, oh, I want to go do things, but it's eleven thirty at night, mm-hmm. so I'm just gonna go home. But other than that, man, good. Just yeah. working on the house and working, getting getting stoked on some hockey, man. Yeah, that's right. And and, and of course, helping me promote Simply Tie. Um, oh, dude, yeah. Anyone anyone who can thing. who can learn about Simply Tie needs to. Yeah, the the growing number of people I know who are moving to the combination of the Donaldson Hermitage Old Hickory area mm-hmm. always ask me. It's like, where is there to eat around here? I'm like, there's really like three places, and Simply Tie is one of them. Yeah. Um, and it gets forgotten just because of where it is, and you know, you Tyson and Ty Phuket and everything like that are the, are the you know the first ones that come to mind. But, second rate, second rate. Yeah, I mean, I used to go to Ty Phuket all the time just because it was down the street. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really good. And yeah, well, so I heard um, I haven't eaten there since I moved out of East Nashville, but my uh, roommates who still live in the house that I moved out of have been going there a couple times, and they say that they got a new chef, and it kind of mm. is not as great. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, because I haven't been there to speak for myself, but uh, oh my god, Simply Thai. Just, if you're looking for Thai food, just make the drive out to Old Hickory Boulevard outside of Old Hickory, the city, and eat at Simply Thai, because it is the best Thai food in the area. S- Simply Thai? Sim- Simply Thai? Simply the best? Simply the best. Now, mm. I, I, I'm, I must apologize. I'm not a big Thai food fan. That's fine, but I mean, we all have things, problems. I mean, I'm not going to say problems. I'm not going to judge. We okay. all have things we don't like. Okay. Um, I also mentioned uh, before we got on, uh, John. We haven't talked any any metal over the last few podcasts. I don't know if you have anything you'd like to throw out there. Uh, no, I've been listening to a lot of Epica recently. Um, was this? 
band from the Netherlands, I believe. Of yeah, and they're so it's this symphonic metal band with this uh, uh, female lead singer who does like operatic vocals, Ooh. and they're just like, they're they're so good. That sounds. I, I was watching. Cool. Yeah, I was watching some uh, live videos of them the other day, and it's just like this like perfect woman on stage with like long flowing red hair, and then these just like dirty grungy dudes <laughs> behind her s- playing this like complex music note for note live in in this like open air festival with like 40,000 people. And what's it called? Uh they're called Epica. Epica. With a C or a K? With a C. Was, and they just ask. came out with a new album that's really good. Um uh, and then on top of that I've been listening to this band from Fort Collins called Allegion, which is like this technical death metal band, but they actually kind of like took a step back for this new album that just came out and went more melodic, if that makes sense. And oh my god, they're so good. Mhm. They're so good. They, they, yeah, I think you'd, you'd be into them because all their lyrics are about like science and psychology and like <laughs> computers and stuff like that. That actually does sound, lyrically, that does sound pretty interesting. Granted, granted, the only, uh, and I, I'm doing the air quotes, metal band that's actually considered, that's actually partially considered metal I listen to is just baby metal. Yeah. Uh, that's really, there's just something about it. They're that, so that, catchy. I'm like, so I've been listening to them for like on and off for probably about a year now and I still can't decide whether I like them or not. <laughs> I, I just, it's just, I just experience it and I feel happy and um, I, I listen, I go on YouTube and like pull up their, their give me chocolate song. And just like, this is, this is this, I feel like I shouldn't <laughs> be watching this and I love it for that reason. Yeah. Well, I, uh, they came on random. I was listening to Apple music at the gym like several months ago and they came on random and I just pulled up that album and started listening to it and just started lifting things heavier than I could, <laughs> running faster than I could and farther than I could. Have, have you seen the videos of them? Uh, I, I think they they performed with the, uh, and I don't know his name, the singer from Judas Priest. Rob Halford? I think so, yeah. I think, but I think it was Judas Priest. Yeah, they mm-hmm. were up there, like they were actually like doing a duet with him. Oh yeah, and like the two, the two dancer singers, the the, the other two girls mm-hmm. were like one. They were like one of them was actually playing guitar, and the other one was miming. But like one of them was actually like playing guitar and, uh-huh. and riffs and stuff. It was uh, it was pretty badass. So I'm gonna have to look that up as soon as we're done here. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So we we actually have hockey to talk about too, uh, because and... the season obviously opened. A um, lot of things to talk about. Of course, we're gonna get into the two games. Uh, against the Blackhawks Friday and Saturday. A lot to talk about there. Um, I guess just what, what are y'all's o- overall impressions of just the first few days of the hockey season? Anything that you've seen interesting or that you wanted to share or anything to start off? A lot of goals. There's a lot been of goals. A, a lot, lot of, of rookies scoring, scoring goals. Yeah. A lot of young guys scoring goals. I mean, who, who can forget the... I mean, the big news, of course, that dominated the first day of the season was Austin Matthews. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that was incredible. But uh, like, it hasn't just been the Maple Leafs. I know I saw uh, earlier that uh, the Maple Leafs were the first NHL team in history for rookies to score their first six goals of a season. But it's been all over the place. Like Connor McDavid's been scoring a lot. Um, yeah, Con- Connor McDavid leads, leads the league in scoring. He's six points right now. Three goals. In two games. Yeah, in two and, games. And I think my goal of the season may already have taken place this year. Um, so this happened... Was it was it last night? I don't. I wrote it down as soon as I saw it. I think it actually might have been last night. So, uh, it was. Let me see. What was it? <laughs> so, there was. I'm even trying to. I think it was Canucks. Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to it blanked on the team that was. But yeah, it was it's really easy to forget about the Canucks. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was a Canucks goal, of sorts. Um, I don't even know who's involved in it. I just watched it over and over on repeat. So, it was a penalty. The Canucks goaltender leaves the net. 
they're they've you know it's the late penalty, man, six guys out there. You know, it's the Canucks. They're trying to do something. They pass back mm-hmm. right into their own net mm-hmm. and get it in, in, in its own goal. And it's just oh, it, we just talked last week about how bad the Canucks yeah. are going to be, and that's how they make their mark in the league. Because that was the one where the dude goes sliding into the net G- too, Gudfrey's right? Oh like, yeah, because he was skating hard, hard to try to catch up with it because he could see it was going in right. and he just dove. But there was no the, way there's he was a, get that. It's, it's Gudbrandson is the the defenseman, and he's there's a still shot of just him inside the net. The net is off its moorings. And there's nobody else in shot, <laughs> and it just looks like the most lonely sight because he's just alone in this net, and he's in Vancouver. I think it was in Vancouver, yeah. and and it looks miserable. It was Louis Erickson that technically shot the puck, so his first goal as a Canuck is an own goal. One of when I first got back into playing NHL video games, um, I actually gave up a goal that very similar way. Um, on a delayed penalty. I scored a goal like that um, once because well, I poke-checked it out and it went into the net. What happened is I was trying to to um, do a... I was trying to do a slap shot and it was still six on five. And um, like, and this is, of course, a bug in the game. This shouldn't. This obviously shouldn't have been able to happen. The guy actually poke-checked, like knocks into or something and like the puck is moving backwards. I don't know how it happened. But it goes just slowly across the ice, and no one skates towards it. My player is is stuck for some reason, and mm-hmm. I just it just slides in, and I'm just watching the seconds tick, and no <laughs> one's doing anything, and the and then it's a goal. It's like that scene in Mighty Ducks where the the and at the at the end of the first ha- first uh, period, the other team scores, and it's like a well, he's well, trying to teach him a lesson. Well, or also Mighty Ducks in the fact that physics don't really apply. Like, <laughs> physics didn't apply in Mighty Ducks. Physics did not apply sure. in that game of NHL, whatever number it was. I think it was like nine or something like that. Bad memories. Yeah, yeah. it's all right. It reminds me of um, the, I think the last time that happened is when Marty Brodeur scored a goal. So it tells you how long ago that is because it was against the Hurricanes and he like tried to cover the puck and something happened and then Jordan Stahl rimmed the puck around in the offensive zone and it went all the way out, yeah. bounced off, and went right into his net. So they scored when they were trying to mount a uh, an attack during a delayed penalty. Mm. And so, it's Marty Brodeur of all people. Right, there you go. So, yeah, the, the, the opening of the league has been incredibly interesting because of the youth movement. Um, uh, and then, obviously, t- interesting. it's always interesting when, when uh, one team is particularly bad, like the Canucks. But... Uh, we also had a couple uh, a couple games by the the Predators. Uh, I guess let's just go ahead and get into it. Um, Friday night, we had game one, um, game one of the season against the Chicago Blackhawks, and I just I've been to all but two, maybe three of the home openers for the Preds since they've been here. I've never seen an atmosphere like that. It was by far the best atmosphere that I've seen at a home opener ever. Um, I missed a couple that were very forgettable and then one that was maybe okay. But, but I don't know what, what were your, your impressions? Did you guys feel the same way? I mean, that's what I felt. Well, so, I mean, as, as a reminder, I of course am continuing to not give any money to the Predators until Ribeiro's off the, off the payroll. So I, I have no impression of it because I okay. am still not going to games. Yeah. So, I mean, I work downtown and you can feel the electricity downtown and just you know since Subban was was brought on and during the entire preseason it was just you know the city is just like ready and like yearning for this hockey season to start and you know I've only lived here full time for two years so that's uh you know two that's just my third training camp slash start of the season that I've been around for um and yeah before like when Laviolette 
got hired on, you could feel that there was like an excitement in the air, but it just paled in comparison. And I think it's because, I mean, this team is so stacked and it, it looks ready to to contend for something and win something this year, which they haven't, you can't always say it's been the case. Yeah, I, I think the energies is, is a great point to bring up because it's it's been building and the, the expectations have been building for a couple of years now. And, you know, it, it's like they've been laying out the fuse and then the, the Weber-Suban trade, you know, Subban shows him a natural and he lights the, he doesn't even hesitate. He just, he strikes match, lights the fuse and everyone is cheering. Um, you know, they just, it's just building and waiting and waiting and waiting until that opening night. And it looks like they brought back the, uh, LED bracelets again. Cause that's kind yeah. of the, 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 in, in typical Predators fashion that's been happening for a few years in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And then the Predators are like, oh yeah, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seems to be pretty, that seems to be like a pretty cool experience. Yeah. I, I think part of it isn't just the, um, it's not just the atmosphere. Uh, it, that's part of it. People seem more focused on the game than just being there. But it's it's also you know what we saw on the ice. Now, outside of the first five to ten minutes where it looked like the Blackhawks had played a game and the Predators hadn't, which is what exactly had happened. Interesting. Uh, and once the Predators got going, it really, I mean, the whole second, you know, the, the last 50 minutes of that game was pretty much all Predators and uh, outside of a few hiccups here and there, they, they dominated the rest of that game. But I was going to say at the the end they kind of rolled over and let sure. the the Blackhawks yeah. do do their thing. But um, yeah, I mean you you saw exactly what the Predators are going to try and do this season. I mean they were up and down the ice. Their defense was activating. Uh, Subban scored that first goal, and the the literal roof was the literal figurative roof was blown off Bridgestone Arena. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, they were playing with speed. They were aggressively on the forecheck, and the Blackhawks really didn't have an answer no. uh, for them at all for the first uh, like half of the game. Yeah, I mean, there, there were definitely some... I mean, it, it was instant. Like you said, Alex, it, it was clear this is... The Predators team, this is their first game really trying to be on. It always takes in any sport... a few games before you're in i mean maybe football uh, an exception since there's so few games but it takes you a few games to get your legs beneath you to get your mind going in the right direction uh and i, I think uh half the preds were there mentally i think half weren't there mm-hmm. uh you know the, the fourth line wasn't really clicking that well night one whereas night two in chicago they definitely seemed to to, to have a better feel for things uh, there was a little bit more experimentation going on. They were definitely their brains. Like, you call it unlucky, call it unprepared. But you, you know the Hawks came out ready to go and 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 took advantage of the Predators not being ready. And then I think you had your classic score effects on the other side where the sure Blackhawks were getting a little desperate. Yeah, they, they definitely turtled to to a great extent for the last five minutes. Um, I wanted to talk about Pecorine for a second because you know there was a uh, the, the most imp- the largest worry i think in most people's minds was pecorine in the offseason uh then he goes out and does a very bizarre sort of where he should have just frozen the puck and he tries to bat it forward into the guy and then and then of course it bounces back and then kruger gets the goal he has that and then he has the goal from jalmerson which i think he was screened by a couple guys um but then he kind of recovered right i mean what was your impression in in uh, of pecorine so i was uh I think my my reaction was not terribly different than anyone else's. The first five ten minutes, it was really nervy. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what he was thinking, and then he he settled down and seemed he was still moving around a lot more than I'd like to see him move around. But that's just Pecorino. He moves so much, and that's why you know I threw out like if, as long as he doesn't. I can't remember the the one verb I used, but I described him as being a very happy otter. 
Um, he needs to <laughs> take it down a notch, um, and, he, and I feel better. Uh, but I, I think what, can, what will continue to worry me is what you said. He made a very strange decision, and we saw that a lot. We've seen a lot over the past year or so where it's not so much that, uh, you know, he has some soft goals he would let in, but any goaltender does in a given season. But when the goals were kind of going in and you were like, what's going on, Pecorino? It really seemed like his head wasn't on straight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when it comes down to decision-making, I mean, that's something that, that's a day-in and day-out thing. I mean, there's no guarantee he's going to just make great decisions every single game. Uh, So I'm still going to be concerned until he puts in a consistent series of performances rather than some oscillating ones. And I want to shockingly call out the broadcast from last night's game uh, because Stu somewhere, I think it was like in the third period or something like that, uh, mentioned, was like, you know, there are a lot of questions that were going on with Pecorine, people not knowing, you know, how he's going to play and if he's too old and if he's kind of, you know, uh, starting to lose his luster a little bit. And, you know, uh, last night's game, Friday night's game really put to rest those questions and nobody's (laughs) talking about Pecorino's play anymore. No, no, it's the exact opposite because, yes, he settled down and looked pretty great for the rest of the game. Like he had that great glove save on uh, Patrick Kane, who was coming down during the rush, which was probably his best save of the game. But for that for the yeah. first 10, 15 minutes or so of that game, he just looked not great. He just he wasn't comfortable. He was flailing around. He looked fidgety. He looked like he was kind of like uh, flinching at shots. And that's exactly the questions that we've been asking. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that is just, you know, opening night jitters and that, those go away and he starts to play a fine game. But we saw that a lot last season, too. Saw it during the World Cup. Exactly. Yep. So questions about Pecorite are most definitely not put to rest until he starts getting in those games and we have a couple more games to see him in and see like okay yes this is how he is or no this is we don't know how he is or however it goes like I think I saw a tweet from Bob McKenzie um, said something about like after uh, after 10 games take note of it after 20 games write it down after 30 games book it that's a great point yeah I mean that, that's why when, when when somebody's like well what do you think about the standings or things like like it doesn't matter until Thanksgiving I don't care about the standings which I was thinking <laughs> about it the other day uh, the standings and stats and everything like that for the first like two or three weeks of the season are my favorite things in the world because you see teams with like a hundred percent penalty killing yeah. and like you know six goals four per game and stuff like that and you see you know the avalanche are at the top of the standings and the the penguins are at the bottom of the standing and just like all this weird stuff because eventually the cream rises to the top and that's not going to be an issue anymore right. yeah I mean early schedules show show real issues like you know I was looking in I was like the Blues are at the top of like they they're three and zero. Then I looked at the teams they played. They played a lot. They played. Um, I know they played the Rangers. I know they played. Uh, the Blackhawks to open their the season. The Blackhawks, who were, we what who I said, and I think we talked about last week a little bit about them kind of being a middling central team, which is still better than than most. Yeah. Um. You know they don't have the hardest opening schedule, so it's not inconceivable for them three and zero. But that's not. I mean, it's not like they're they're going to conquer the central mm-hmm. because of that. Sure. And, um, you know, one thing about Pecorine is uh, I, I think a lot of us, I, I know I, I'm including this, expected Rene to start both games. Yeah, I did. And then and then when he doesn't, is that, a, is that an indictment of how maybe they perceived him to play in Friday or no? I don't, I don't think so. And you and I talked about this on the Tennessean podcast yeah. uh, earlier this week where my initial reaction was to have Pecorine start uh, opening night 
and then have Maz play the back to back. But we also were open to the idea of saying, you know, Lavi plays Pecorine back to back. It would not be inconceivable or surprising to see Pecorine mm-hmm. play both games of that. But honestly, I think it was the right decision to play Maz in that second game because. You don't want a bunch of wear and tear on Pecorine this early in the season. You know how bad goalies do on the second of back-to-back. And you also want to get your backup into a game as early as you can, especially in this uh, start of the season, unless you're like Corey Schneider or Jonathan Quick or something like that. You want to get your goalie uh, and your backup goalie ready to go. Uh, and I saw a lot of hand-wringing people and like, oh, well, there's you know that's two points and it's against a Central Division rival that might matter down the road, but... Honestly, in this juncture of the season, get your backup, his feet wet, um, and see how he does. Yeah, and I, I think the uh, the big takeaway, and, and, and you guys may may or may not agree with me. I, I doubt the Preds fans as a whole will, would would agree with me on this. Uh, no, but the big takeaway for me on, and this is a little bit in game two, because we're on the goaltending topic. Yeah, is is really how is Mazinks going to go doing his next performance? What is his reaction to? were in a lot of cases goals that he could not have have had a hope to save. I, I'd probably say half of the goals. I know there were five, but I'm still going to go with half. So give me two and a half of them. Um, we're really not. He couldn't do anything about them. Uh, I mean, when, when you when you've got Kane, Patrick Kane on one side, and um, it was panic on the other, right for that mm-hmm. for that the the two on one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was yeah. panic uh, for the hat trick. Yeah. Uh, there's no one covering panic. Right. So are you going to try and play both when they're that tight into you? Or are you going to you going to cover Patrick Kane? Right. Last year's MVP. Yeah. You're going to cover Patrick Kane and you're going to have to rely on your team to cover the other guy. Right. Well, that that nothing like that even remotely happened. What is Maz supposed to do? People were lighting him up about it and saying he could have played it better. I'm like, what would you have done? It's Patrick Kane and some guy who used to play for Tampa. You think? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Maz did fine. I, I don't think he was particularly you know excellent, but he wasn't bad either. Technically, it goes down as a really bad start, but that's mm-hmm. just that's just part of you know. It, sometimes you're going to get those as a goalie. I think that it sets a really important precedent going forward that that at the first two games of the season they had an opportunity to play Pecorino on a back to back and they didn't do it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. lesson. And uh, something that I found interesting too is uh, both goalies this year to start the season gave up two goals on the first five shots that they saw. Like, yeah. that's that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy to me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I think that there was maybe a, a mental trap to fall into where either the Blackhawks lost their first two games, uh, their penalty kill was awful, and they're icing six rookies to start the year. So I think that it's very easy because I kind of found myself doing this too. Like, oh, is this the year that the Blackhawks kind of roll over and they're not that cream of the crop anymore? But... They still have one of the best cores in the league, and they still can turn on a dime in any single game. So to have you know Richard Panic score a hat trick, or for them to you know win the second half of their on um, their home opener of a back to back, it's not at all surprising to see that. I mean, a- after two games, seeing the seeing the Predators play Chicago twice, uh, one of my big takeaways was that Nashville has way way better depth than Chicago, but Chicago's core players. They their elite players mm-hmm. are better than Nash's elite players. You know, Forsberg's and Hughes emerge may be an exception there, but if you're comparing him to Patrick Kane, is is his primary competition for like and like? Mm-hmm. Patrick Kane's probably still a better player. Yeah. Um. So I mean, that's that's one thing that's difficult to overcome, especially if you're trying to match your bottom six against the top six for shutdown purposes. 
you know, you've got better depth, but they're going to be able to to really be dominant. Whereas you can just crush the well, the Predators can just kind of crush the the rest of the Chicago depth. I mean, that's what I felt like I saw, especially in Game Two. Mm-hmm. Um, more on on Game One, uh, of course, we're, because they happen back to back. You know, we're we're going to kind of go back and forth between the two games. I mean, they might as well have just they should have just played one hundred and twenty minute game, right? Like on Friday night, just done <laughs> like like another three OT game. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Should have just done that. Uh, but. Uh, the other thing that obviously probably stuck out to most people about Game 1 was the uh, power play. Um, the Predators' power play looked fantastic. It was a different setup that I think most people were expecting because they went with four forwards and one defenseman. Uh, you know, Personally, I thought you know with, with two defensemen like Yossi and Subban, you would see both of them out there and then probably Forsberg, Neal, and Johansson. Uh, but instead it was you know, Yossi out there with Fisher, Johansson, Neal, and Forsberg. Fisher obviously out there to win the faceoffs, and then Johansson to create some space, and Forsberg and Neal to shoot the puck. So, what did you what did you think about the, the 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 production of that power play? Did anything really surprise you? Uh you know, I don't think anything was surprising. I think the differences between Game One and Game Two were surprising because you know I actually had someone send me a message on Twitter, and forgive me, I don't, I can't remember the, the the name of the person who asked me. It's like they asked me about the deployment. And so when I looked it up, I saw the same thing. You know, there was seventy percent of the time I think of, of during during actual power play minutes, they had four forwards in the ice, mm-hmm. um, and Yossi at the point. I mean, that's like seventy percent of the time. I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, what does it look like in game two? At no point on the power play in game two did they run four forwards. No point. So they kind of went away from it. So yeah, so it, you know, it was very successful. And I, I think maybe uh, my guess bit of a wild guess but I, I think it's somewhat educated that uh there was there was some scouting going on uh because the three goals scored in the power play on friday night were the exact same goals from the point yeah uh they were just just really clean shots right down the middle and and they beat crawford uh, so may, maybe they said hey crawford has a vulnerability here we know you know we know how the blackhawks play their pk it's it tends to be very aggressive though it was i would say less aggressive than than historical the past two nights um, we know how they play, and so we know this works against Crawford, and then maybe that's not going to work against Darling. Maybe he's better at handling those point shots based on, on the video scouting. Mm. So we're not going to try and do that. that. So that's me trying to put my head in, maybe in the head of the coaches a little bit, why it was so different. Well, and it's also kind of hard to judge because, you know, I mean, yeah, the power play looked great, especially in that first game because they were moving the puck around, they were going low to high, they were um, spreading out the Chicago PKers, but at the same time, Chicago's PK is really bad to start the season. <laughs> I mean, it was really bad because I watched uh, most of the uh, St. Louis-Chicago game, and it was the same stuff where they just could not get a handle on the puck, and it was before they knew it, it was in the back of their net. Um so again, you know, we'll, we'll say this for just about anything, but you know, it's so early in the season that is it that the Nashville power play is really that good, or is it that the Chicago power play is or power, penalty kill is really that bad? I think it's probably a little bit of both. But I'm like, if you had asked me, is Chicago's penalty kill going to be one of the worst in the leagues this year? I'd say no. I think they'll figure it out eventually. Um, you know, I might be wrong on that, but. Um, yeah, I, another thing that I thought was interesting was, you know, we always uh, kind of complained over the past couple of years that the power play was too reliant on Shea Weber because they, you know, pass it around, pass it around, get it up to the point yeah. and bomb away. And that was what they were doing this uh, for the first two games. And it worked. Well, but, <laughs> but there's there's a huge difference, though. There's a major, major difference. They get to the puck to the point and it goes on net. The yeah. problem yeah. with Weber is that he has the hardest shot in the league. But he needs five chances to get one on net. Yeah. 
Whereas Yossi or Subban needs one chance to get it on net, and it's going to be, it's not even a, always going to be a slap shot. It could be a really strong wrist shot. Which is what Yossi's was. That, that's just a laser straight into the net with perfect accuracy. Uh, and that's a major, major difference. And I, th- I think a bigger threat. Because you know, you, you're not as afraid to block it, but it's got precision. Mm-hmm. Also, also, I think uh, with Yossi and, and Subban, the, the shots are coming more from straight straight away center as opposed to maybe an angle on the side where where Web, you know those shots coming from the side, the the goalie has it's a harder angle, but the the goalie potentially has a little bit more of a, a line of sight. The, those straight away shots, there's four or five players in the way sometimes. I mean, not necessarily directly, but at least distracting. And that's probably a little bit harder of a, of a puck to, sh- to stop, especially if it's on net, <laughs> like yeah. you mentioned. Um, so, yeah, the power play looked great. And look, I mean, the power play is, it's special teams takes up 20% of an actual game. The, the game is one and the, the other 80%. And the Predators in the first game, were a were a solid five five on five team, solid even strength team. They had uh, eight eight high danger scoring chances at five on five compared to the Hawks four. Um, and uh, the the possession numbers, if you look at the Corsi and the fancy stats, technically favored the Hawks because of that final what six minutes where they just were pounding the zone and the first five minutes. But for the most part, the Predators five on five got it done. I mean, they got what they needed to do. Um, what did you see about the uh, the, the lower? I'm sorry, the, uh, the the bottom lines, the you know the Sissons line, the Fisher line, uh, the Ribeiro line. Any, what, what did you see out of those? Did you see anything that really stood out to you? Uh, you know, nothing in, in game one. No, um, you know, really in game one, uh, I, I was a little concerned about the bottom line. You know, everyone who listens to the show knows that I'm a little iffy on Salamaki. I, I think he's a less good Gabby Bork. Um, and I stand by that still. Uh, but game two, they really turned it around. Uh, you know, they still weren't exactly pushing into the positive Corsi zone, if you if you want to call it that. But the turnaround was substantial. Uh, you know, they were much more aggressive. They were they were pressing. They were turning again. The puck turned over. They're getting out of the zone. Uh, they were generating some threat, and that's really what they're supposed to do. I mean, they're not there to score a bunch of goals. They're they're there to to make the other team sort of back, go, move back in their heels a little bit when they're trying to attack. Uh, and that definitely started working. So I'm, I'm going to be pretty confident that they can keep doing that. Um, I mean, they were heavy defensive zone deployments. So they're always trying to break out. So it's always going to be difficult to get really good numbers doing that. Uh, but they handled it much better. And that's in the second leg of a back to back against a good Chicago, you know, good Chicago team. Yeah, and I don't know what the the numbers say, um, or if they would even generate uh, like as scoring chances. But I saw a couple times, especially late in the game, um, where you know Sissons had a had a couple of chances to to try and score, uh, and that goal that Arvidsson scored was incredible like it was a really good goal kid got a little strong over the summer got yeah a little bit stronger yeah and then if, if he can pick that up during the uh like for the entire season i mean you're probably looking at you know 15 goals from him this year maybe possibly more it, 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 if he spent the summer getting stronger and learning how to actually shoot the puck because you know i you know just talking to you know like beer league players around the air they're like arvidson's shot technique is bad <laughs> uh you know, if he Which worked, is funny because he tries to do it all the time. Yeah, well, he he generates tons and tons of shots, um, and they're on net typically. So, you know, if he spent the summer really working on shots and working on strength, which are two very addressable things, not like, uh, you know, some like mental you know, mental kind of decision making things like that are more difficult. Uh, it's just something you can really work on, like skating. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could be a serious, serious threat, and maybe fifteen is what we should expect, and maybe more is what we could anticipate. Right. Um. 
so I, I think overall, you know, the 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 five on five, the even strength side of the of the game, um, you know, with a lot of speed on the outside. What I saw is I saw a team that was really using speed on the outside, really stretching out the Blackhawks, and I mean in both games, really. Um, and that middle of the ice is starting to open up a little bit, and you can see that the Predators were starting to take advantage of that, and I think that uh, if you can get another great year out of Fisher and Johansson, that, that, that there, there will be more opportunities to come in the 5-on-5 uh, the five five side of the, of the um, game. Can, can we take a moment and bask in, in Johansson's Monday Night Performance? Where he just mag- magically gets first star and three assists, and and you almost didn't notice yeah. it happening. Yeah, oh, it's so, it's it's, uh, it's so beautiful. And it was just, I think that's uh, a testament to the power play. It's just because you know he's maybe not calling the shots, but you know doing his best to get in there and be one of the uh, leading players on that power play, which is what we expected of him. Uh, like even when he was traded here last year, or at the beginning of this calendar year, if you right. want to look at right. it. So. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick uh, a quick break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the second game, which was not as fun, uh, but <laughs> still a game nonetheless to talk about. And then uh, we'll uh, have some reader questions. Um, we got some questions coming in from Twitter and on the on the uh, comments on the website uh, and a few other league things. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back to the Predcast. Uh, I am Alex. Link is still here. John is still here. Hey, haven't left yet. Um, and we're gonna wrap up talking about the first two games. We're gonna we're gonna finish up with the second game uh, in against against the Blackhawks in Chicago uh, last night. And uh, one one thing about about this game is uh, you know obviously it wasn't a great start. Um, the first first five ten minutes, much like the first game, were pretty rough. This game I think is a great example of how the possession stats, Corsi and all that, can be at the very least misleading, it, 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 but definitely just a mischaracterization of the game. If you looked at the possession stats, Nashville dominated fifty-seven percent to the to forty-three percent, but obviously that's not how the game went. And the reason is because Chicago scored three goals in what five shots or something like that, and so from there on the game totally changes when you have such a 
dominant you know shooting percentage early it totally changes the game so it just it's kind of something that i i was thinking about is you know there's a lot out there about possession stats and about shooting and about shot attempts and everything and you just can't always take them at face value you have to consider the game situation well and this is something that i've said for years and years and years because you know we'll have someone bring up that exact point or say like, oh, you know, those don't matter because they, you know, they outshot or out attempted the other team 60% and they still lost the game. As one game or two games or anything like that, you cannot really rely or take the uh, possession stats for really anything. What they are is a, uh, a measure of future success. So if you take, you know, 10 games or a 15-game sample or a 20-game sample and say, okay, that now they're you know 54% or they're 43% or something like that, then you know that's a trend. Mm-hmm. Looking at them one game at a time really doesn't tell you anything because of how much randomness there is in hockey and you know what can happen in a certain game. So yeah, I would love it if more people stop looking at the one game and focus more on the overall trend. Yeah, and... and- Especially when you're this early and you just had two games, uh, you, the, the common thing you, you get in market research is the phrase um, three three data points is a trend." Well, we have two data points, right. so we can't even begin to to figure out what the trend is because we don't have enough data. Uh, you know, and so you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, you know, I expect the Predators to continue to be a a strong possession team because that's how they're built and that's how they're supposed to function. And yeah, I, there were just some really nasty bounces taking place yeah. uh even even darling darling was was an average goaltender i mean he put up he was like nine one six which is which is fine um and the only problem was is on the other end you had had massing's case getting abused mm-hmm. um with, with, and, and you know the puck deflecting off of his own defenseman flying in random directions and there's not it's only so much you can do about it but mm-hmm. over the course of the season it'll it'll get better I, I think I mentioned it just because it's it's really frustrating to when you when you hear the the Patrick Waz of the world shouting about shouting about shot attempts and and, and Corsi being just bunk and it's like no it, it's it is I mean it's, it's not bunk because if you operate under the assumption that the more time you have the puck the more likely you are to win then it's perfectly fine to look at it but like John said it is something you have to look at over a trend so you can't just pick this one game and say look now Nashville dominated possession and they still lost. It must it must be a bunch of hooey. That's not how it works. You don't get to you don't get to just pick and choose. It's just like the people that you know. There was a robbery in my neighborhood last weekend, so this place is just is is all shot. You know, but look, one incident does not make you know does not make a trend. At like you like you just said. So I just wanted to point that out. And uh, it's a, it's a, no, it's an important point. And, and you know, this is it's true of anything. And understanding of how statistics are applied and how they work is you know i i think i'm sure i've said this in the past in the show but uh i have you know i was so surprised in like an nba program the fact there's there was no statistical knowledge like they just didn't know people there didn't know how to read stats at all i'm like how how do these people who are training to be masters in business administration make decisions on num- like with all these numbers if they can't read basic statistics mm-hmm um, and you know, I think that applies to everything. It's just not part of the curriculum. I, I just I don't think you feel to graduate from college without going through a stat, like an actual applied stats course. Not a if you reach into a bag of jelly beans, how likely are you <laughs> to pull out one that tastes terrible? You know, that's 100%. not helpful. Or Zero, like 90%. dice rolling. Yeah, and they try. There's an attempt with with that to oh well we'll use dice rolling to show a real world example. Well, but no, no, show them a thing they're actually going to do that's that's applicable to life. Uh, you know, show them right. like how to actually like read a piece of research, so that they, when they see, um, 
a, a, a poll or, or on anything, politics, whatever, they know what a standard of error means or what a, a representative sample is and why, mm-hmm. and why you, can, you can use you know, 3,000 people to represent 313, 315 million people. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, you, know, you know me, that's one of my pet peeve topics. Um, another thing that stood out from from the uh, from game the game last night is Matt Carl doesn't seem to be playing well. Uh, I, it's, it's obviously just two games. Uh, he got turned inside out by Richard Panic and uh, pretty pretty ruthlessly. Uh, he's he's given up some some pretty bad two on ones, at least two that I can think of. And uh, is this? I mean. So do we do we just kind of move on and just kind of uh, let give him the next chance and be like he's still a pretty good player or is there any problems here? Yeah. You, okay. Here's the first question: How long is Potato out for? Because clearly the the intent is for uh, some form of Potato, sorry, not Potato, for Carl and uh, Yannick Weber to be sort of the hang backers and let Potato go forward a little bit more because he showed some real aptitude for, for uh, transition play end of last season in the playoffs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think that's that's probably the intent. Um, but without Potato, that sort of blows that up. Um, and so you've got two guys who are really going to sit back and you know maybe Laviolette thinks Carl's going to be the guy he was in Philly. Um, I mean, Carl was sort of had some really, really good seasons, went to Tampa and just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe because probably because the game's changing. Um, you know, the, the stay-at-home defenseman is is fading from from usage as much. Uh, so you know, I'm not super optimistic. I and mean, going into the season, I was I was hoping for a, a potato Weber combo. Uh, it's kind of still what my ideal is. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe Carl can can figure it out. I think he was uh outside. There, there were some isolated instances instances where he was really bad. Um. But when he wasn't being really bad, he was fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I don't have a whole lot to add, but you know, going back to when they signed Matt Carl, um, I lumped him in the category as you know when they signed Matt Irwin as well. If you remember him, uh, it's like you know they're going to bring him into training camp to see if he has you know anything that could possibly do. Um, because if you look at the third pairing, I think they kind of overcorrected a little bit this summer because you had a Boteto and Granberg um, and Jackman at that third pairing last year after Seth Jones is traded. Um, and then you bring in more people. So you've got Boteto, Granberg, uh, Weber, but uh, Carl and Irwin to all see if they can find those that a role on that third pairing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, Matt Carl is what he is. He used to be great, you know, four or five years ago. And then he kind of kind of disappeared a little bit. I don't know if it's say like if I'm ready to say oh he's terrible or he shouldn't be in the lineup or anything like that but you know he is what he is he's going to be yeah. a sixth seventh defenseman on a really really good defensive team and I mean the drop off from you know Matias Ekholm and Ryan yeah. Ellis to even even Anthony Batetto is huge yeah I think I think we're all in accord that the, the preferred third pairing is Batetto and Weber. Uh, but again, we don't know how long Boteto's out. Uh, so I, I guess until until he's back, you know, um, I guess we'll see if Granberg gets a shot at it in, in in Carl's place, or if they just go with Carl and see, you know. Yeah, I don't know if they would bring Granberg up so like so early in the season right now, especially with with Weber sitting there. And considering that 
Carl was wearing an A during the preseason. He seems to be pretty tight with Lavi. I think he probably gets you know a little bit longer of a leash, yeah. especially since again we're only two games into the season. I don't think anything that we've seen so far is enough to say like to say you know oh Maz you're not starting for a little bit or Carl you're going to get benched or uh, you know Ribeiro you're going to not be on the team anymore. <laughs> even though I wish that would happen, but so there you go, John, the voice of reason, uh, talking us off the 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 Mount Carl uh, mountain. Mount, Mount Carl Mountain. It's my favorite mountain. It's <laughs> yeah. the best mountain range. The Matt Carl Mountain. Uh, so I guess that pretty much does it for the first two games. You know, the, the Predators are, are one and one. Uh, th- there's just so much to play. Obviously, they played the Dallas Stars on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot to look forward to in this team. Um, so uh, let's talk about the league, the rest of the league, for just a, just a, a few moments here. And uh, because there's obviously other teams that have been playing and I know that uh, of particular interest to to Link was uh, one particular quote by uh, Mr. Nell Yakupov. Is that correct? Yes, uh, the name pronunciation was spot on. I don't, I don't know. Is that what you're? No, oh, that, I was asking about the quote, but uh, yeah, I know we're trying to coordinate across things. I yeah, actually, yeah. So uh, this emerged, I guess, was it? I came out Thursday. I want to say Thursday or Friday. This quote. It was Thursday because Thursday, it was right after right, yeah, his right first after, game. Yeah. So. I mean, as, as most uh, listeners are probably aware, Yakupov got traded somewhat acrimoniously from the Oilers and went out and scored two goals for St. Louis in his debut. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm sure a lot of folks have seen this. I know everyone at the table has has, has seen the quote, but I just want to read it as a refresher because I, I think this is such an important thing. So this is directly, this is, this is from Yakupov. Uh, I tried. Honestly, it was really tough this week because it's not that easy. It doesn't matter what team you're on. I know Blues are a really good team, really good guys that are really friendly. It's a really good family here. When you've been away for a long time, live in a live in a different country, a different city, and have different friends, you pretty much have nothing outside. It's really good here. But as soon as you go outside after practice, you're just alone. You're lonely, and those kind of things get into your brain, and in your mind, you have to fight that. I'm fighting, and now it's going to be much easier. I'm happy to get two points tonight, and it's going to be much easier for me to sleep tonight. So I think that is, one, it's, it's kind of a sad and happy, it's kind of a bittersweet quote. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's really important, really incredible. Uh, you know, I I hear conversations across every sports field. You know, it doesn't matter what you know it, it is, baseball, whatever. There's a lot of kids who have to grow up really fast and leave homes that are sometimes extremely far away. And 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 as we we at this table know, and as a lot of people know, Russians in the NHL have gone through. They go. They kind of go through cycles where the league will just completely shun Russians. They won't draft them. They won't sign them. They're given a harder time. Uh, people, you always use the keyword enigmatic about them. I mean, they call Alexander Ovechkin enigmatic. The guy is Still. one of the greatest goal scorers in the history of the of of hockey, and they call him enigmatic. Uh, but you know, I read that from Yakupov, and it just it just makes you feel bad for him, and makes you makes you think about other players in the league coming from other places. I mean, some some places like uh, like the Scandinavian countries, who most of these guys grow up speaking English and and dreaming, you know, they come here, and it's it's a much easier transition. And you know, some of these some of the kids coming from Russia, they may be the only Russian in the in on that team. Um, you know, they're going into who knows where, especially places like Canada, where you've got a long history of, of hockey rivalry between the two countries. Uh, and you just wonder what kind of support do these kids get who didn't come up through, through the, you know, the, you know, the CHLs always. And some of them do, some of them don't uh, have to learn the language, have to go through all these things. And then you look at, at, at maybe specifically at, at Edmonton 
where they just draft number one guys constantly and they just expect him to perform. And there's clear there was clearly no support for him. Clearly just no mental, emotional support outside of the rink. And he's got massive expectations and he has to perform and then he's just trashed by everybody. Yeah, and that uh, kind of spoke to me what I gathered the most from that um, was just the culture in Edmonton. I mean, that's that's as much an indictment on the Edmonton Oilers as it is, you know, Yakupov not being able to fit in anywhere, feeling lonely or, you know, anything like that. Because, I mean, you you hear all the time from different sports teams, like, yes, it doesn't matter who you are, you know, we're maybe not all the guys hang out as a team all the time, but, you know, you've got, like, groups of guys that hang out and everything like that. And it... From that quote, it sounds like he he did not have that at all. Yeah, and and a lot of a lot of the times, I mean, we, we we you know as we watch a lot of the predators, a lot of predators hockey, and we see a lot of the videos they make. I mean, how many you know like Swedish mafia videos do we get of all the Swedes in the team going out and going shopping and together? I mean, there's something to be said for guys who grew up in the same culture, who speak the same language, who have had the same problems, same development cycle as you. And having that as, as a support net and letting you relax a little bit, whereas a guy like Yakupov probably doesn't have that in Edmonton. Yeah, and so I got a little bit perturbed, pissed off. I don't know what the right uh, right emotion is, uh, but so I was listening to this uh, a very similar conversation on the power play a couple of days ago. On Patrick O'Sullivan, the former NHLer who's now an analyst at TSN, uh, was talking about this, and he said that when it came to the fact that he said that he was lonely outside of the rink um, and didn't have anything else going on, he was like, "I don't buy that at all," because you know Yakupov went through major juniors and he had time to adjust to uh, the NHL, and then you always have guys on teams hanging out and stuff like that so that that you know I, I don't buy that it's like you you literally just heard a player from his mouth say that he was lonely and didn't have anything going on right. and you're saying that you don't buy that because other teams don't do that <laughs> I mean like that, I, I don't know that, that just like boggles my mind that you can someone can hear that and just take what uh, a player's emotions and what he said and when he was honest and discredit him right away and then you think about like other players so like one of my favorite players in the league right now uh, to the surprise of no one is Evgeny Kuznetsov and you look at what he did I mean he was drafted and then didn't come over to play for the Capitals it was like four or five years after he was drafted and it was because he was a 19 year old who was born and raised in Russia, didn't speak hardly any English, uh, just recently got married and had a, had a kid and uh, after he, he was drafted and was going to be making a ton of money in his hometown playing for his hometown team. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know what, let me put in my three years here. Let me you know, learn some English. Let me uh, get comfortable here and get a nice base here and stay with my family here, and then I'll come over and do that. And a lot of people were still not happy that that's how it was because they wanted him to come right away right in now but you see how talented he is right now because he had that time to mature uh in russia and as well as you know get used to what it was going to be like coming over into the nhl and it also helps that he had guys like uh alex ovechkin and dmitry orloff and some other russian players on on the team to do that also predators fans i mean Alexander Radulov. Yeah, I mean, there's probably there was probably some of that in there, and and um, who else plays for the Blues? Happens to be from Russia. One Vladimir Tarasenko. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now he's on a team with a guy yeah. who at least has had success. Who 
you know, has his own issues with with the leadership in St. Louis in terms of of understanding and things he's had to work through. So there's mm-hmm. there's actually like an ally, somebody he can talk to and and at yeah. least like not have to figure out the right way to say it in English. Just naturally, just just express things. So mm-hmm. Yakupov was drafted in 2012. He was 19 years old. He's from, and I, I know I'm gonna. I hope I'm not gonna totally mispronounce this, but he's from Nishnikomsk, Russia, which is. Uh, I pulled up some some Google Mapage going on here. And it's about 6,000 miles away from Edmonton, Alberta. So we're talking literally, almost literally the other side of the world. Uh, it, the, the Google the thing that I pulled up said this, says it's a almost a 20-hour flight. So you're talking about a 19-year-old going across the world to then become the you know a, a premier scorer for a bad, bad Edmonton team. Uh, that does not have Connor McDavid. That that has you know Taylor Hall. I think is really all they had. I guess they had Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Was that twenty eleven? Yeah, and they had a few other guys. A few other guys. Everly. 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 Yeah. yeah. Expected to go and produce, and and like you said, the 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 total complete transition from one culture and one side of the world to another. This is something that happens in soccer too. And I read an interesting article about this. Is there's so much international transition between players from from different parts of Africa, from Asia, from one part of Europe to another, going from one team to another, and and really as a pretty young player and having to completely change their life and then produce immediately as a 18 year old. Yeah. And it, all these little things, this applies to anyone in any sport, you know, you know, I, I, the, the food changes, the language changes, the weather changes. Uh, I mean, how you go to the grocery store is going to be different. And Grant, yeah, he went through, um, you know, he, he you know, Yakubov went, he was in the Quebec, Quebec major junior. Yeah. But again, that you've got a, that's, uh, I mean, that's belay family, you know, uh, or billet family. And yeah. uh, that's totally different than living and, on and your own. To, you're also in Quebec in a French, le- in a, in a French speaking league. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to Edmonton. I mean, could, could Quebec be any different than, than Alberta? A little I mean, bit. Yeah. A little, a little they, bit different. Yeah. But I, I like, I think about a guy in, on Tottenham Hotspur, um, I always butcher his first name, um, so I'm just going to... It's Sun. He's Korean, South okay. Korean. He went from South Korea, obviously, to Germany, where he was very successful, obviously, you know, learned to speak German so he could communicate, um, and then to London, where he just learned how to speak English. So he's, uh, in, in a matter of just a few years, he's had to... He's like, he's like 24 years old, so he's had to learn to speak two, at least two different additional languages, go from, you know, Korean food to German food to English food... <laughs> <laughs> and, and live in in a city that's a totally different stop. I mean, and this, and, and you look, just look at any NHL team in the blend of backgrounds, and think about all the kids who have gone through that same cycle, and you wonder what kind of support they're getting mm-hmm. um, beyond the the Canadian good old boy hockey support of, you know, go go you know bite down a leather strap and and saw your leg off if 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 you know it's frostbitten type mentality you get yeah. in, in Canadian hockey. And I, th- I think it's important to point out that you know it's not just international players. I mean, even players moving from from uh, from Canada down to Nashville, for example, uh, you know, that's a pretty different culture. It, I mean, it's, it, granted, it's not as extreme, maybe, but uh, we have to consider things like that. Think about think about Kevin Fiala moving from from some you know born, born in Switzerland going here. It's a totally different totally different environment for him. Uh, moving it back to kind of more hockey centered things. Uh, did you guys see who who won uh, the Blues game for in goal last night? For, I, I, was I, it Carter Hutton? Former Preds sideline reporter Carter Hutton. Yes, he uh, yeah he he got his first win of the season. There you go. Yeah, I watched him uh, play the Capitals in a preseason game, and 
<laughs> he actually did pretty well. Did pretty good. So uh, we didn't spend. We haven't spent a whole lot of time on the Eastern Conference. Um, so for me, the Metro seems kind of wide open. Is that is that is that fair? John? No, it's going to be Pittsburgh or Washington. Okay, no one else. Well, everything everything beneath that is just sort of a is just sort of chaos. Yeah, because um, you don't. It, it could be the Rangers. It could be the Flyers. It could be yeah. the Islanders. You don't know. I, it's not going to be Columbus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we one know of the, that. One of the things that's fun, um, and and I've only been able to watch, you know, like highlight reels and and you know a few few spurts here or there the flyers so far um but they were a team who has no aspirations to win the stanley cup like internally they just they just know they're not there yet and they're playing like it which is but they're playing like it philly style which is I mean they're just they're just going out and having a lot of fun they, they're getting kids experience um they're just going wild they're uh, win or lose they're gonna be a fun team to watch this season and they're just gonna get more fun to watch i i think yeah two three years the metro is gonna be a just a really good time. Um, you know, Pittsburgh <laughs> is going to be maybe fading a little bit. Washington, I think, is still going to be strong. It'll depend um, on a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, there's a lot of things. But, but you, Carolina's some, up and coming. You've got some real up and coming teams. I think Carolina's going to be better than I was thinking they were going to be. New which Jersey cool. might be the same way because they've got some some pieces there. That yeah, it's going to be all about maybe. Schneider and Hall trying to trying to make things happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Metro is going to be just sort of this this. It sounds weird saying it, but it's kind of going to be like the Wild West division this year, um, where you've got the the sheriff and the deputy up top in in Pittsburgh and and um, in Washington. And I'm not going to say who's the sheriff and who's the deputy because I think they're going to be figuring that out themselves. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, um, the rest going to be fun. So yeah. the 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 Atlantic. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it, it that certainly looks like a race between Florida and Tampa. I yeah, mean, same same kind of thing. Where it's, <laughs> Florida, where, where it's like you have those two top teams, and then everyone else below them. I mean. Montreal is probably a good bet to get that last division spot, but then mm-hmm. you've got the Senators who don't look like they're going to be a very good team this year, the Red Wings who don't look like they're going to be a very good team this last year, the place. Bruins who may not be a very good team this year. I mean, it's just kind of oh, the Sabres who may be taking a step forward, but still probably aren't going to be a very good team this year. It's like you don't know what you're going to get there. How, how much is going to kill Canadian hockey fans when the when Florida dominates the top of the Atlantic? <laughs> You mean again from what they did last year? <laughs> I said we'll say continued domination on yeah. top of the Atlantic. Yeah, they were one bad penalty call away from going on to the second round. And the only other one we haven't talked about is the the Pacific. Uh, so I mean, Edmonton is out right out of the gate, sort of started starting to look pretty good. Connor McDavid leading the league in points, but is that going to last? Uh, I know one thing that'll last. Vancouver's bad. Calgary doesn't look great. The Ducks don't look great. Um, San Jose and Edmonton. Randy Carlyle, you mean he's not going to lead the Ducks to resurgence Stanley Cup final? Which is funny because, like, seeing some of the uh, predictions and everything like that ahead of the season, which is why I always hated doing preseason predictions. But they're like, oh, tell me more about that. Yeah, right. Uh, but no, they were like, oh, the 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 Flames and the the Ducks, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. They're going to be in that division spot. It's going to be great, yeah. and they both look really bad. Yeah. I've actually because I watched a good chunk of the first two uh, Edmonton Flames games, and the Flames looked awful like Edmonton didn't look that great to begin with either but the Flames looked really bad I would absolutely pick the Coyotes over the Flames or the uh, the Ducks at this point the Coyotes look actually pretty good um okay so we've got some questions if you want to jump into the questions so uh we threw out some some questions on Twitter and uh on on the website for for comments and we have we got a few good ones uh I think the first one we want to jump into is obviously Predator's focused at adam wenzel 22 uh asks 
What are our predictions for... After we just made fun of predictions. What are our predictions on our record for October? Uh, what is acceptable with lots of back-to-backs against tough opponents? So just to set the table here, here's what we're looking at. We got Tuesday against the Stars. Friday and Saturday against the Red Wings and Penguins. They go to Detroit to play... D- 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 sorry. They go to Detroit to play the Red Wings. The very next day, they're back home to play the Penguins. The following week, they have out west the ducks and the kings back to back wednesday and thursday followed by the sharks on saturday what do, what do we think what's reasonable so um adam always comes with with, with, with i think interesting questions because i think there's, there's two parts the first part is is a little bit like what i'd like to see happen which is how is he going to perform through october um i'm really looking for and this is me trying to be an optimist here 10 to 11 points through the through the month, that's and that exactly. counts. That counts the games that have already passed. That's exactly what I um, said. So the only thing that's up in the air is I think they're gonna they're gonna get a draw, a, a win or draw or or two long. Sorry, let me try that again. They're, they've got games against um, you know Pittsburgh and San Jose. I think one of those is is looking for an overtime point, and the other one being a loss. Maybe both could be losses. That's where I kind of have that ten or eleven points. Okay. Um, but you know, it's the back to backs that are interesting. Uh, because I, I think that the Anaheim Kings back-to-back, I think that's a very winnable back-to-back because yeah. they're two teams that are that are starting very low. One's a Randy Carlisle team, so that's a freebie, <laughs> you'd think. Um, and it's not like you're going very far. Uh, right. So you've got a lot in your favor. You can probably stay at the same hotel. One drive's going to be a little bit longer, but you can plan for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a huge advantage there. So you know, I, it'd be good to get some of these back-to-backs out Soon, sooner than later. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they get brutal towards the end of the year. And well, Predators had a lot of back-to-back last year. Yeah, and I would say that, I mean, just looking at the schedule, if you would have asked me what are they going to do for the first home-and-home home to open the season, I'd say if they go one-and-one, one, that's fine. Like, if they lose a game, especially, like, at the United Center to the Blackhawks, who cares? Like, that's going to happen sometime this season, most likely. That's fine. Um, and then the other two games that are, like, maybe that I wouldn't be too upset if they lost would be the game against Pittsburgh and then the game against the Sharks because both those teams are starting out very hot this year um, and both those teams were great last year. They're probably going to be great again this year. Um, so they're, that's going to be like the ultimate test. So if they can win those games, I think that uh, Nashville will be in a good spot and that'll be uh, kind of a wake-up to say like, hey, yes, yeah, so we can hang with these teams. This is going to set the precedent for the rest of the year. But if they don't, all right, you know, it's still beginning of the year. We're still getting our, our feet wet with these with these new players, and we'll, we'll go on from there. So I'd say if they lost any one of those three games, that's fine, but they absolutely need to win the other ones. I, the, the, the back-to-back where they go to Detroit Friday and then return back home the next night to get, play the Penguins Saturday is... I do not see a scenario in which they win both of those games. Uh, I see a scenario where they win it. I just don't think it's yeah. as likely. I mean, they, I, they, I, they should win that game in Detroit. I mean, Detroit is yeah, not a should, very good yeah. team. But returning home to play in front of your own fans against the reigning Stanley Cup champions after just playing, that's going to be tough. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and, and who knows? I mean, you might... There's a small chance you might see Crosby back by then. Who knows how long he's been out with the concussion. Right. It, in reality, when they announced it, so... You know, there's a chance you might see Crosby by then. No, Crosby's obviously a boon for the Predators, but you still have Malkin, you still have Kessel, you still have Hornquist, uh, who you have to contend with. So, I mean, there's no way it's going to be an easy game, especially back-to-back, which is why I've kind of given either zero, though I'd love to see it be a draw. Any, any, And this kind of answers the second part of Adam's question on a bigger scale. Through the course of the season, um, with a few exceptions of you know that Southern California back-to-back, 
I always want to see the Predators come out of a back-to-back with, with three points. Um, I mean, it's it's really tough scenario. Uh, you know, it means you've, you've probably played four games in a week um, in all, all chances. I think the, the one, next one coming up, they're only playing three games. They've got, a, they've yeah. got a, 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 the way it breaks out. Um, but it's just, it's really hard. Um, so three points is always what I want to see from a back-to-back. Well, yeah. four points really, but three yeah, right, points right. Is, what I, what is acceptable. Yeah, yeah. I, I I had down ten to twelve points. It, it's sixteen points possible the rest of October. Well, on all of October, uh, ten to twelve points. You know, they are, obviously already they, they already have two. So uh, I, I think if if you got anywhere ten, if you got twelve points out of these sixteen in the first month, fantastic start. I think there's no no complaints there. Um, next question is from at the C Web. <laughs> Uh, based on the film, so I'm guessing what the question is, is based on observations, not looking at stats, just looking at, at purely what you see on the ice. Based on the film, how is the Subban-Yossi pairing working through two games? It's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to watch. Um, I mean, both the guys want to move the puck. Both of them can move the puck. There's there's breakouts. Uh, I mean, they, they both of them track back real hard. I, you know, certainly there were a few moments where I felt like um, Subban seemed to be a little bit uh, not on point Saturday night, uh, where he just wasn't moving the puck quickly enough. Um, but I think I think part of that was with Chicago bearing down um, yeah. to a degree. But I, I think those are the things that'll that'll smooth out across the course of the season, just as you get your hockey brain and you know moving. Yeah, and Subban is one of those players that I mean, he because he's a high risk player, he's going to make turnovers, he's going to make some boneheaded plays every once in a while. That's just who he is. Yeah. And we're, we're going to see that, you know, throughout the course of the season. But uh, again, those high risk plays far outweigh the risks of what he's going to be doing. I mean, I'm sure that there's going to be a time at some point where he's going to make a turnover and it's going to go in the own net. That's fine because the amount of goals and points and that he's going to set up for the rest of the year are going to outnumber that, I'm sure, vastly. Um, and you saw both players making great defensive plays throughout throughout both games. So, I'd say it's uh, going on uh, pretty much like we expected it to. And we expected it to be and great. And they looked, and they both looked so so comfortable in the power play. Of course, yeah, they're very very comfortable. Like you said about Subban, you know, it's funny once you once you get really up close to uh, to see a player that you know you just see on the other side of the fence for for the most part, you start to see start to see small things. Yeah, he's definitely risky. He does take some penalties. Yossi through two games, no penalties. Uh, Yossi, it really makes you think. It just reminds you that Roman Yossi is. Why? Why isn't he considered the best defenseman in the league? I mean, well, he's. It's. It's you know he he is exceptional in that he is above average. I think across the board. But he doesn't have. Um, it, it, let's say if you took like each function of a defenseman and yeah. it was a bar graph, it's pretty like even across the board. Whereas you look at a guy, let's just pick someone else like Eric Carlson, where he's got his, you know, his his defense is maybe a little bit lower than Yossi's. I don't think Carlson's the defensive nightmare that a lot of popular hockey media says he is. But Carlson's like goal scoring and assists are like way way high, mm-hmm. um, and so he has the pronounced things. I think I think Yossi goes out there and he can do just about anything really well but that sort of play doesn't get noticed until you know he's been in the league for 10 years yeah okay and then they're like oh this guy is sort of like like eric uh, <laughs> sorry they're like lidstrom light like uh, yeah like nick lidstrom light yeah because i don't think he's lidstrom good but he he kind of has the same sort of he's in the right position he moves the puck really well he cleans things up uh, he's very reliable. Um, I think I said something about positioning already, but mm-hmm. 
Yeah, just just you know, a guy you you can really rely. on. I think that that'll show up over time. Um, yeah, and I like just to. I don't have much to add to that, but just saying again, you got the natural factor um, on there. I, I swear, Shea, Shea Weber is going to win the Norris this year just because he's <laughs> Mo- Montreal. It's going to happen. He's your conference. He's your yeah. conference bias. Yeah, just I just book it because yeah. people always talk about you know in radio programs articles how good Roman Yossi is, but I mean. It will happen. That, it's, it's in passing. You don't hear it a whole lot, mm-hmm, right? Uh, let's do let's do one more uh, reader question. We have we had several people. Someone asked about Matt Carl, which we talked about. Someone asked about goaltending. A lot of questions about goaltending. Obviously, yeah. well, you know what? We're yeah. right there with you. <laughs> yeah. We're right there with you. Um, so I want to get to this one at ACHS Limp, maybe Axlimp. Oh yeah, okay. And the question is, how's the Fiala time going? He's trying real hard. Yeah, he's he had some some pretty good opportunities throughout the first two games. I, I've got some numbers here if you want to hear these real yeah, quick. Go, so go. so Friday, Friday eleven minutes on ice, uh, two shots. Um, Saturday twelve minutes on ice with, with one shot. But here's the thing about Saturday. So when Salamaki went down, Fiala got switched to that line. So he got put on that line, and uh, I think they moved Neil up. So. His shifts changed, obviously. A Saturday, Saturday's game, he had he had seven in the first, eight in the second, only five in the third. But again, he was switched to that lower line, which wasn't playing as much in the third period. So to me, it's all about time for Fiala. I think that he is a known commodity. I, I well, not known exactly what his production is, but I think we know what we could possibly get out of him. It's just how long will it take to get him there? Yeah, I, I think um, where Fiala is is that. Uh, the coaching staff has seen like, hey, there's not a lot more he can le- learn in Milwaukee. There's not a lot he can learn there. So all you can do is take him, try to make, try to put him in successful positions. Granted, 11 minutes is not a ton um, of, of ice time, but and he's got to capitalize on it, and that's what they're looking for. They're looking for him to go out and make things happen because you know last season, the season before when he got those little kind of cameo call ups, uh, he would go out there and make a huge statement, whether he was swearing or not, he'd make a statement of being involved in plays, making things happen, and then he would just disappear. And so I, I think that, you know, what I'm looking for is for him to not disappear. And if that means he has to ramp up into it, I think that's great. Uh, but he, really, for Fiala, all he has to do is be about as good as Craig Smith in terms of production. Because Craig Smith is, is, is incredibly underrated as far as production goes. I, I always compare him to, to um, Patrick Sharp. Um... In terms of, hey, you know he's going to go out there and score the same number of goals, same number of points, season after season after season. If Fiala could get to that, I think then he could take a next step beyond that. Um, but, you know, so far, there's a lot of try hard um, and not a lot to, to show for it. So, you know, two games in, we got 80 to go. Let's let's see what happens. Yeah, and you touched on something uh, that I was going to say was as far as, like, you know, his cup of coffees that he, he saw the past, you know, two years or whatever it was in the playoffs um, and last year where... That's something where, you know, he knew that he was only going to be up for a handful of games, maybe five if he was lucky, and then he was going to go right back down to Milwaukee. So, you know, you got to do what you got to do and make an impression then to show that you're ready. And then I think that when, what he showed in preseason was, okay, yes, you are ready for this club. We're, you're going to be up here for pretty much the entire year, you know, barring some huge tragedy or some huge regression uh so now he's got to get into that role of like i don't have to do everything every single time i'm on the ice i got to play the team game i got to do this i got to do that um and let's not forget that he's still a really young rookie who's still finding his way into the nhl yeah so i would say you know even if he goes you know a couple of games and with you know relative invisibility that's 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 maybe not fine but 
he should work through it so that when we get into November and December, that's when he should be ramping up. I mean, if you look at last year's stats, I'm sure that there are even players like Johnny Gaudreau who didn't really do a whole lot for the first couple months of the season, and then December 1st came, boom, yeah, off they went because they were finally used to the game. <clears throat> Mark Stone. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, Mike Hoffman did the same thing, yeah. I think, about two years ago. So once they get used to that game speed and they've got you know, 10, 15, 20 games under their belt, that's when they're ready and that's when they take off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So adjustment period for him for the first. I mean, I know fans that want to hear it say to wait 20 games or something like that, but yeah, wait twenty games, and and he needs to be in the right position again. So hopefully Salamaki is currently day to day, and I, I don't think that was that was more of an in game change. Uh, I would imagine that it's if Cody Sal- Bass time, yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. Cody Bass time, Sissons and and uh, Arvidsson and Bass probably Tuesday unless Salamaki can go. All right, um, I think we've we've covered a lot of things. Uh, I think we have. Um, well, I mean, so you know, we did cover. Um, you know, we talked a little bit in, in one of the questions about the week ahead, about kind of the ne- the month ahead. Um, but I mean, the week ahead is actually pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, because you know we have Dallas coming up, um, which is going to be a really interesting game. It's going to be a fun you game. Talk, you talk about a, oh my a, God. a team that looks a little bit like Nashville. It's all about you know. I, I think the way that I broke it down in, in the preview uh, episode is that you have a team that's all about just blasting the puck versus teams about possessing the puck. So you've got a counterattack skating rush team versus a possession team uh, should be a really interesting matchup of, of modern NHL philosophies, which should be super cool. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. I watched uh, the Stars-Avalanche game yesterday after the Preds game was over, so I caught about maybe like eight minutes of the second period and then the whole rest think, of the third period. I think they just scored again. Oh my god. <laughs> like that that was like that's what hockey should be. It ended uh I think it was like six to five or seven to five in yeah. favor of the Avalanche and but it was just like teams were going up and down the ice, teams were scoring. I mean Dallas's goaltending was about as bad as you expect <laughs> it to be. I mean that if there's one game that I'm super looking forward to already in this season, it's gonna be Tuesday's yeah. game. And then and then Detroit uh, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Pittsburgh, who knows? Yeah. Well Detroit's gonna be a fun game because you got the the hot Shots, hot chicken and bourbon festival that day. Oh, that's that's going to be a, a riot. Oh yeah. So that's this this coming Saturday. Yeah. Oh, oh no 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 this this Friday. Oh okay. So they'll they'll do it uh, sometime, you know, in the late afternoon, early evening, and then at the the event they're going to be showing the game so that you can ah. eat your hot chicken, okay. you know, get your Hattie B's, get your Prince, get your Boltons, and then you know drink your Woodford Reserve, your Buffalo Trace, your Old Hickory, and then watch Goodness. your game. Wow, it's be a okay. lot of fun. I think tickets are still be an like interesting Friday night. Seventy, eighty bucks if you want to go. Yeah, but it should. I mean, yeah, I mean, it should be a, a fun week. There's some. There's some really good teams, some some mysteries, and, and some bad teams. But I mean, I, I'm still sticking. I'm going with like a really op, like really positive two two or uh, two and one. Yeah, two and one. Yeah. Or two zero oh, and one, two zero oh, and one. I'm going two zero oh, and one. I think they're going to get, a, get be able to get an overtime point against Pittsburgh. I, I, I'm looking at one 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 and one. If they lose one win one and tie one, this well, is going to be great. One. I'm going two and one. I think that they're going to lose the uh, game against Pittsburgh. Well, we got we got almost the spread. We'll just yeah. we'll, we'll we'll assume um, that Dan or Mario would have gone three and zero oh and something, or oh two and one or something um, like that. Yeah, Mar- Well, Mario <laughs> yeah. would have given a very practical reasoned response. Right, right. Um, so yeah, but there's I think that's uh, that's our week ahead. It should be interesting. I, I'm also predicting one. It, I went one and one and one because one of those will be a three on three overtime loss. So, <laughs> oh. That's going to happen. Oh. Um, all right, I think we, we yeah we've got a lot covered here. Uh, in, any final things? Uh, any any kind of parting parting news uh, or information uh, you wanted to? John, you're you're our, our our special guest. Yeah. Um, you know who knows when I'm going to see you ever again? Yeah, I know. Um, I mean. W- what do you have for us today? Anything special? Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I, you know, 
every once in a while you wake up and you're like you're on your phone or computer right before you get out of bed and you just see something that just jars you for the rest of the day like an article or like a video or something like that so mm-hmm. i read an article today um and let me ask you guys a question how do you spell berenstein bears oh i already know where you're going with this yeah how do you spell berenstein bears link um well first of all i i couldn't um <laughs> but yeah i know i know this thing like yeah is it is it yeah, it, how many ends are in it or something like yeah, that? Yeah, so right? I, I think, and for the listeners listening, I'm sure that most of them, probably over half of them would say it's S-T-E-I-N, because that's what we grew up reading, that's what we grew up looking at. It's actually S-T-A-I-N, like stain instead of steam. Mm-hmm. I remember it as being E. I swear, I like I read those books all the time when I was growing up. But it's A, when did this happen? Where did this come from? And there's this whole, like, these conspiracy theories that branch out from this of saying, like, oh, this is a butterfly effect. Someone went back in time and changed it to A, and that's why we have memories of this happening, and, and now we don't remember it. Or, like, there are parallel universes and all this other stuff. Yeah, but it's, it, it's a theory of the multiple minds that, like, that really what's happened is, is that we are now, we have now switched over to a different, different universe in which it's E and not A. Other way around. Okay. Where it's A instead of E. But what's what's also really weird is I have memories of looking at that and trying to spell Berenstain Bears. And I remember it's like, oh, I thought it was E, but it's actually A. Or I thought it was A, it's actually E. I can't remember which one of those is true. I have memories of both those things happening, and I cannot remember which one actually is the real one. I think what I... So, I, for listeners that don't know, I'm, I'm expecting our... We're expecting our first child, and I'm definitely going to get some Berenstein Bears books, but I'll tell you what else I'm going to do. I'm taking pictures. I'm going to record the how it is spelled now on that book. I mean, I'm going to take pictures of the book, Link, is what I'm saying. I'm t- taking pictures of the book. Uh, yeah. I know photos. And, yeah. <laughs> I'm familiar <laughs> and, with technology. <laughs> and I'm going to take pictures, and I'm going to keep them and make sure that they are not tampered with so that in the future, if it changes back... I will know. So, so there's um, an author, um, Brandon Sanderson, who writes a lot of like really interesting sci-fi and fantasy novels, and he has one where there's um, two two opposite forces: preservation and ruin. And ruin is able to change anything, just very small changes, not like carved into metal. And so maybe the forces of ruin have changed the spelling. Ah. Of the Baron Stain Bears over time, yeah, in know. order to sow some sort of chaos in our lives, to make us wow. question everything that we've, yeah. we've known. I mean, it's like, it, but you just anytime you look back at kids' books. I mean, the one that stands out to me the most is I always was really fascinated as a kid with the art style of like uh, Babar the Elephant. Yeah, but you look at it now, and it is like the most like pro-colonial, uh, <laughs> like thing, like especially kids' series I've ever seen. Like you just read it, and you're like. I think they're going to march on India any second. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just ready for them to try to like conquer things. Um, and it's just it's kids books are always weird when you look back. That's why I like I like good honest kids books like uh, uh, you know like was is it like the um, Harold and the Purple Crayon. Yeah, that's that's good. <laughs> Rainbow Fish, that's great. I mean the ones that are that are you know a little bit less colonial, a little bit less less confusing and consumed with with chaos as as the as the Bernstein. What about the bears? Where, where the wild things are? Is that too chaotic? Well, that's a little different. I mean, that's a childhood yeah. fantasy novel. You know, that's I think that's that's okay. a healthy thing. I yeah. I also love that book. I didn't see the movie because I don't want to scar myself like oh, that. Oh, the movie's bad. It's really bad. Um, anything? Anything? Other party shots? Link? No, I have these. I have these great shoes now. Oh yeah, look, look at those. those. Yeah, those vans. <laughs> they are vans. I actually I bought them Friday. I took a day off from work to work on a personal project. I'm I'm actually typing up all of my written writing from the past ten years. 
it's okay. an, it's yeah, it's kind of scary. And so I'm like, oh, I'm going to go down. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go. I need a pair of slip on vans. And so I'm like, I'm going to go to Journeys because that's where you can go and you can get slip on vans. And I go to Journeys and actually the gallery in Cool Springs because I like to drive for some reason. And um, actually. I, I go in and I was like, oh, that's what I want. I was like, do you have it in a 12? They bring me the 12. They're like, oh, you got lucky. We had a 4, 10, and a 12. I'm like, great. So I'm walking up with, with the girl who's helping me, and she's like, are you being them for any particular reason? Yeah. And that was the first thing that like, <laughs> like threw me off during this, this adventure. So I'm like, put on my feet I'm so like, that if I step on something, it doesn't hurt? Yeah, it's like, really? No, they're just, just I needed, I wanted a pair of slip-on Vans um, just for, you know, to have. And then... I'm at the checkout and I hear it behind me because there's only me, the girl who's helping me, and the other guy who's working on the other side of the store. No one else is in this place. It's a Friday. <laughs> it's 11 o'clock. Um, and I just hear something like, hey, do you think I could, I could hold on to these socks? I'm like, like oh, what? Um, and then it's like, yeah, I just like, maybe, maybe can I just put them behind the counter and just buy one of them on break? I'm like, okay, this is making a little bit more sense. Um, <laughs> and the, the girl who's helping me is like, yeah, that's just, just fine. Just do it. She was clearly exasperated already. And then I'm running my card, and all of a sudden the guy sitting next to me, he's like, "Hey, feel these socks," <laughs> and he's he's like holding these socks out. I'm like, "Yeah, they're they're really they're really soft." He's like, "Right? Aren't they the softest socks you've ever felt?" I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I really want to buy these and put them on." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> and then I go back to the transaction, and he walks behind the cash register to where this this huge wall of socks, and he just is feeling all like he's holding the one pair that he had me feel in one hand, feeling it, and just feeling all the other socks in the rack. <laughs> That's a man who's getting his Christmas shopping done early. <laughs> He's like, I'm trying to figure out which ones are the softest. And like, clearly, the person helping me just looks over at him. It's just like, just shakes her head. I mean, the whole experience was so, so were, bizarre. Was this, was this guy maybe one of the forces of ruin? Is that maybe? I, I don't know, but he was really into socks. And I just wanted to buy my shoes and leave. And I did. And I, I wish I loved happy, anything but... as much as this guy loves socks. Oh my God. He was... <laughs> I don't know if he made it at the end of the day because clearly I, I assume she was like the manager. Mm-hmm. And I, I think she, she was just like, just put the socks on. <laughs> Stop with the socks. All right. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for us uh, on this episode of the Predcast, this uh, Predcast Light. Um, and I'm assuming next week we'll have Dan and Maria back on board. Uh, John, of course, you are always welcome to join us at any point. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, until then. Uh, Twitter handle? Um, yeah. Sorry, we're, we're figuring this out as we go along. <laughs> this is part part of part of captaining the ship <laughs> where I'm like, back. where's the rudder again? I, I, where is it? Our, 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 our rudder is currently trying to prepare for open enrollment season for health insurance. Yeah. So uh, he is Chris Link, and your handle is? 3D Link. At 3D Link. Yes. And you are John Garcia, and it is? It is at jgarcia36. Okay. And I'm Alex Darty. Mine is at alexdarty one Until then, uh, this is the broadcast. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time.